and welcome to the Notre Girl Podcast. We are here Saturday, Somos, Puerto Rico, taping down here from San Juan, Puerto Rico. My guest today, first guest of the day. You know, is today Saturday? Is today Saturday? Yes. Day two, right? None other than one of the newest members of the Taxi Medallion Task Force in New York City, which is uh, personally appointed by our public advocate, Jumani Williams. Very, very special community advocate, organizer, law firm, owner, attorney, Ali Najmi. Ali, Ali, welcome, welcome. I didn't know how to do your intro because everyone already knows Ali. Thank you. It's great to be on. How's uh, how's life been going, man? I mean, you, you've been joined with this whole episode is going to be about the taxi, taxi worker rights. I'm a Bangladeshi New Yorker, so, you know, I've grown up around uh, the industry since, like, 1987. I'm, uh, I remember my dad driving a little bit on the weekends. I remember countless uncles of mine who, who that was, you know, when, even till this day, that's the way we, a lot of our community made the living. So I'm really, really excited to have this conversation with you. So how's, how's things been going there? And things have been going great for me personally. I think for taxi drivers, things have been really tough. I know. Uh, this task force that I just got appointed to was basically created because seven taxi drivers committed suicide. That's how bad it got. And mm-hmm. there is a financial crisis with medallions. Yeah, which are the yellow taxis system yeah. of New York City, and there was there's been all sorts of uh, I think a bubble that was created, some predatory lending that was done. The New York Times did a bit a big expose on Huge this. Huge expose. You know, there's also now the game has changed with Uber and Lyft. Yeah, and um, you know I also work with those drivers, and those drivers have their own issues, their own challenges in the day to day of the way things are set up, right? Yeah, basically because Uber is one of the worst companies and employers. Yeah, it's also one of the largest employers. Yeah, but they don't want to call themselves employers, and they don't want to call them employees. But in fact, that's what they are. There's a whole legal battle with that. But sounds right like, now, sounds like legal loopholes with employer-employee stuff. Right. It's a very. It's actually a legal technical issue about whether they're independent contractors or whether they're workers. Yeah. Yellow taxis have always historically been recognized as independent contractors because when you're driving a yellow cab, yeah. You go where you want. You don't know who you're going to pick up, and no one's telling you what to do. There's not a lot of control. Okay. The real test is how much control does your employer have on you. Yeah. With Uber, you're told where to go, who to pick up. But now, limousines and livery were always considered employees because it was a prearranged pickup. The black car would come. They were told where to go, who to pick up. Uber's in the middle because now you have an app. Okay. And the app tells you where to go, how to get there, who to pick up, but you get to decide when you turn on the app. Okay. So now we have a we have a situation where technology and advancements in tech and the rise of the gig worker is being used to exploit people. It it's it, it hurts personally because I have a lot of folks in the Bangladeshi community who I've grown up with that are reaching, you know, retirement age. And personally speaking, I've just felt that in the last five to ten years I've seen a rapid health decline in a lot of the uncles in our community and you're, you, you know, we were talking about mental health and the suicides. What kind of, you know, tolls are we talking here? Financial tolls, mental health tolls on, you know, on the uncles of our South Asian community. What have you seen personally? This is a tough job. Number one, NYU actually has set up a whole health study on this. And sitting in a car for like 14 hours a day, yeah. not using the bathroom, just even using the bathroom during a shift is like a big deal in Manhattan. Yeah. And it's it's ruining people's insides. Drivers have a lot of issues. They have a lot of health issues. And 
In fact, you know, I fought tooth and nail to have a taxi relief stand installed near Punjabi Delhi in Manhattan, which is like specialized parking for taxi drivers so they could just hop out, go to Punjabi Delhi, which is a well-known respite for taxi drivers. And we got that after a huge battle with the city. But, you know, physical health is, is an issue. Mental health is an issue. It's a stressful job. People also get robbed. People get beat up. Yeah. I've represented multiple taxi drivers. A lot of them are Bangladeshis who have been assaulted. Yeah. In fact, being a taxi driver is one of the most dangerous jobs in America. In fact, there was, a Bangladesh, there was I think, a young Daisy kid just shot in Brooklyn dead as an Uber driver. As an Uber driver? Yeah, just like two months ago. Yeah. And a Pakistani kid, actually. And, yeah. you, know, I've, you know, that I've represented a lot of people who've been beat up and we've been demanding justice and... You know, we even tried to get a bill passed in Albany, it passed the Senate, but it didn't pass the Assembly, which would have created um, a higher penalty for assaulting a taxi driver the way it is for a bus driver right now, like an automatic felony. Yeah. But it didn't pass. But we've been working on these issues. I mean, it's a really tough time. Is there any type of, like, what is retirement like for the uncles that have, you know, been here since the 80s and the 90s, and now they're reaching, like, age 60, 65, and then blue-collar workers? Is there any sort of... Uh, transition to retirement with some sort of financial security or are they all having to depend on their grown children now? I mean, what have you seen? Well, look, I think everybody made a big bet on taxi medallions, yellow medallions. The TLC's data shows that people from Bangladesh, Pakistan, India, Dominican Republic, and Haiti are, they're the biggest drivers, the community of drivers with the South Asian groups being at the top. Can you repeat those countries again? Bangladesh, Pakistan, India, Dominican Republic, and Haiti. Wow. And a lot of these people have been invested in medallions. And it was going to be their retirement. And just a couple of years ago, in, 2013, in 2012, 2014, medallion was like a million dollars in value. Medallion today, now in 2019, is $150,000 value, if you can even find somebody who's going to purchase it. So wow. the bottom just fell out, and, it, and you know what? People were people pulled out equity from these medallions, and and they have huge debts. The average there are there are six thousand individual medallion owners that have an average uh, debt right now of six hundred thousand, an average loan payment of three thousand a month. Their debt is six hundred thousand. The medallion is worth one hundred fifty now. That's why seven people kill themselves. So now this task force that was set up, we're going to make a report to the mayor and the council. On what to do and it's going to be public in january and we're still sorting through but it's a task force that includes uh what else is on the task force yeah it includes medallion owners it includes financial uh experts it includes professors academics of finance and economics and pricing it includes attorneys bankruptcy experts it includes advocates it's actually a really strong team I think it's about that time for our first break. We, we're doing this episode a little, you know, unconventionally. We usually start with education. Um, before we go to our first break, tell us how you got here a little bit. Uh, you know, you grew up in Queens. Tell us about your academic pathway. I know you were raised by educators and your uh, sister, and you got a really strong, uh, you know, mother figure. So tell us a little about that, and then we'll go to our first break. Sure. You know, I grew up in Eastern Queens in Glen Oaks. And uh, I was fortunate to be in a District 26 public school, and uh, I went to a great elementary school, PS 115, a great middle school, MS 172, and the SP program. 
And you know there are a lot of South Asian stars coming out of the, those two places. Like you, you mentioned them because that's your that's your hood, man. Just talk about all the South Asians. We got a little tape with uh, a shout out. So to all the all the South Asians from 115, 172, you. you I mean, there's you know superstars on Instagram like Mo Gangat, Lawyers for Workers. Oh yeah, we're shout out to Mo. <laughs> Who else? Who else? We have uh, wild successes in finance like Vikas Patani. Oh, shout out to Vic. Shout out to Vic. We have music wild successes in medicine like uh, AJ Curry. AJ Curry. <laughs> How about in music and arts? We got worldwide global heads. You know, Heems obviously is our guy. I think he went to 67, but he was around. He went to 186 for a minute. He went to 186, but yeah, he was always at 172 uh, hanging with you guys. He was with us. He was with and us. And we also, were you guys with Harry Condovolo's, uh year, or was that? Nah, he was, he's a little older, but he came out of there too. He came out of there too, I right? think, yeah, both Condovolo brothers. That's what I'm saying, so <laughs> shout outs to 172. It's again, and also LL Cool J, <laughs> but that's a separate time. <laughs> uh, for real, was yeah, it? Oh, shit, it. his parents didn't bring him all the way out here. Yeah. So... So where'd you go uh, for college? Did you go? To, did you go to school in New York? And were your, was your family supportive of you? You know, pursuing a career in law. Did, did you know that? Yeah, I went to a school called Oberlin College, which is a, a great college out in Ohio. It's a selective liberal arts college. And then I went to the CUNY School of Law. My parents were supportive of me. Yeah. My mom's dad, my grandfather, was an attorney in Pakistan, so yeah. my mom was with it. Yeah. My uncle's an attorney in Texas. Yeah. Her brother. So, and um, you know. Everything's worked out, you know. I'm here. I think actually one of the things I can talk about that is really unique is I, I graduated college and law school debt-free, which really allowed me to take a chance in organizing in politics and starting my own firm um, and not having this, like, thing hanging over me, which right now is the biggest issue of student debt, and it's debilitating. But I, I was privileged to, to have freedom. That's awesome. After getting my degrees and, you know, build my own way and build my own thing and take a risk. I've never heard of people getting a free ride through graduate school or law school, so I definitely want to hit that up. It's time for our first break of the Notre Girl podcast. We are speak, uh, talking about taxi driver, taxi worker rights with Ali Najmi Esquire. Not guilty, NYC. <laughs> hit me on the ground. He me, he me, I'm Queens born and bred, but Brooklyn where I make my bread. Long Island where I make my bed, though New York where I lay my head, yo Fuck around and play you dead, yeah Cause we don't really play too fair, yo You not there where you say you there, bro You not there where they pay you Welcome back to the Nerd Girl Podcast I'm your host, at Dr. Ivan Khan We are, uh, we are here from Puerto Rico, Samos Please pardon the background noise if there is any. We're in a lo- uh, recording out of a lobby today, making sure that you know we get to hear all of our guests. Returning to our conversation on taxi worker rights with Ali Najmi Esquire. Ali, yes, we're sir. talking about how you got out of law school debt-free. You went to Keeney School of Law. Right. Tell us about that experience, whether you'd recommend it for others pursuing law, and how you got how you graduated debt-free, dog. So CUNY School of Law is a great program. It's, I love that law school. It really pushed me to my limits academically. It was, it's, it's, it was a grueling academic experience. It's a great legal education. I recommend it to anybody. I, it has a great focus on public service and public interest law. I think if you want to be like a big partner at a corporate firm, you don't go to that school. Mm. But you know, it's if you want to be if you want to be a good lawyer, you go to that school. Yeah. What did you decide to do when you graduated, and how did you get the debt-free part? So, so CUNY School of Law is like this gem okay. in law schools in in the in the country. Yeah, which is that it's it's a public it's a public it's CUNY so it's publicly yeah. subsidized, right? 
and the tuition is really low compared to other law schools. It's like, if you're in-state, when I went, it was like 10000 a year. Wow. Which is, you know, at that time was a third. I graduated in 2009. It's a third of what uh -huh. it cost. Now it's a lot more, but yeah. it's still cheaper than every other law school. So with that flexibility, how did you, uh, what did you do out of, out of law school? So, you know, I really got fascinated and ingrained with politics, the intersection between politics and law yeah. and community empowerment in law. Okay. And there were a lot of people who were in my law school that were from the community organizing and political world and introduced me to it. And right out of law school, I, I started working in campaigns during law school. And then right out of law school, I, my first job was with a city councilman, okay. Mark Weprin, a uh, okay. councilman who represented the area that I, I'm from, Bellrose, Bellrose, Bell Park, in District 23. And I was his legislative director. I was in City Hall every day. He was, you know, and I basically learned the ins and outs of New York City politics. How long, how many years did you uh, I did have that role? Two years. Wow. And it was, a, it was you know, under Mayor Bloomberg. Uh, what does the legislative director do? We come up with legislation. We, we help the council member draft legislation. We help the council member oversee all the committees that he's on and keep track of legislation that's in, that's been introduced and pushing his bills and pushing his agenda and making sure that we keep track of everything that could affect the district and taking meetings with him, meeting with all, like sitting in on every meeting. So is that common? Is there, are there other attorneys in similar roles and in, yep. in, in staffs and chief of staffs and like, what's that role? There like? are, you don't have to be an attorney to, to have that role, but certainly there are many. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was a phenomenal experience. I mean, I, I, I knew more, I learned a lot about power in New York City. He was the chair of the zoning subcommittee. Okay. And like when the Brooklyn waterfront was being redeveloped and, and things were nuts. And I used to know more than the newspaper. And like, you really get to see how power works in New York City on matters of land use in the city council. And you get to really see what people are like when the cameras are off. Tell us about it. Uh, let's let's unveil that curtain a little bit. We are at Samos, so we absolutely get to see a very, very different, authentic human side of our electeds. Oftentimes when we're in New York, electeds have to you know, you know protect themselves or, or ensure that you know, there's not too much friction between what they may say in the community, but over here, it's, it's, it's people feel safe to just be themselves a little bit more. So tell us a little about that. Look, Somos is a really cool thing. It's a great place to network. It's a huge political conference. A lot of deals get cut here. There's a lot of advocacy that happens here. It's it's an it's an intimate opportunity to advocate for a cause. You know, for the call of taxi drivers, you know, one of the reasons I'm here is because Uber is here. Okay. You know, Uber is here trying to kill the taxi driver. So we need to be here to advocate for our community. And you get to like really connect with elected officials and politicians in a whole new way and push an agenda in a, in a unique way and make a lot of contacts. Where did you go from there with your law practice? Because you know you, you went there, but you, you ended up in, in your current law practice on Madison Avenue. And you, and you even do election law, which is, which is a niche practice Super within, niche. The, within the legal field. And I think there's only like five or 10 of you in the entire city. Right. So, Tell us about Look, you know, know, the law firm. Well, you know, I'm. I run You know, my day job is basically I'm a criminal defense attorney, uh -huh. and I also do uh, a personal injury and election law practice. Election law, I mean, criminal defense keeps me busy in state courts all over the city, and Long Island, and federal courts as well. If you get charged, I've, you know, basically defending people with serious criminal charges. Election law is a very unique field. You know, it's about ballot access. And. New York has this insane way, these rules to get on the ballot. You got to get signatures and technicalities, and there's a tremendous amount of litigation. 
one of and people challenge people's petitions. People try to like disqualify people from elections. And it's, so there's a lot of shit that goes down even in elections, like challenges. So you need a lot of lawyers to help figure that stuff out, right? And sometimes things can get really dicey. Like in Queens, we just mm -hmm. had a um, we just had an election for Queens DA where there was a recount and there was a 55 vote win Damn. for a major for a major office, and it involved a lot of election lawyers. Wow, and there, and there's a lot of like feelings left over from that entire race. It, there it are. Means. Yeah, there are, but I think, you know what, let me just say this on this podcast, is that I am the only non-white election lawyer in New York. Non-white? One of the few. Maybe the two that I know of. Wow. Me and one other guy, Arthur Gregg. And so, you know, and it's a, and it's a field that probably has maybe... That's weird, because the representation for um, black, Latino, and Asian electeds is definitely increasing by, like, the by every single election sure. cycle. So, it's only, it's only a, like... It's only natural that there's representation in election law. Look, it's 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 about access. It's about, I was lucky enough to have a mentor. Yeah. And I also like What's grab her name? her name is Sarah Steiner, who she's a great election lawyer. Yeah, I love Sarah Steiner, and, man. She's always retweeting my stuff and I right. like my stuff. So we, we I think she's a Bronx Square? I think so too, yeah. Something like that. We have Something. some kind of connection where we really see eye to eye and stuff. But you know, there's some election lawyer there's only like maybe like fifteen election lawyers throughout the state. Some of them you can't even hire. Like the guys that run the Queen's Democratic Organization, you can't hire them unless they choose to, to to nominate you. But and they're some of the best election lawyers. Yeah. So it's 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 like this guarded, you know, law and you really have to go out of your way to try to get the experience. And I was like involved in campaigns, I'm involved in organizing. I said I said, let me get into this and you know, I, I just it started, and now I have a whole election law practice. That's like some Illuminati type shit, Ali. I've been to the appellate division in New York on an election law case. I, I mean, that's crazy. It actually moves pretty quick through the system. It's, it's the most pressing issue in the courthouse. You could be on trial for an A felony murder, but if there's a matter involving the ballot, that goes first. That's that's just crazy. That's just crazy to me. But uh, I guess I guess that makes sense in uh, the way the laws it was written. So with that last hip hop reference, we will go to our culture segment. <laughs> I have a lot to talk about there with uh, our good friend Ali Najmi, Not Guilty NYC. We'll be right back after this break. We don't believe you, cause we the people are still here in the rear, yo, we don't need you. You ain't a killing off good young nigga mood. When we get hungry, we eat the same fucking food. The ramen noodle. This simple voodoo is so maniacal, reliable, but pull a choo-choo. The irony is that this bad bitch in my lap, she don't love me, she make money, she don't study. Welcome back to the Notre Grove podcast. We are talking taxi worker rights with Ali Najmi Esquire. If any of you listeners haven't been able to tell so far, Ali and I get a chance to, you know, work in the community together. A lot of our locations are in a lot of his organizing spaces. We happen to be neighbors and we happen to be friends too. So if you if you hear us, you know, break some barriers here and just goof around a bit, it's because it's because you know we do share you know personal uh, accounts about my family and. And his life together. So, starting the culture segment, Ali, I got to take it with a little somber thing. You lost, you know, a friend of yours that you made, you know, in, in a really important culture moment for Queens. Uh, it was, you know, the late great Anthony Bourdain yeah. for his episode in Queens. Rest in peace, Bourdain. And you had a chance to spend some time with him and also be on the episode to with your good friend, our good friend Heems, to represent Queens. Take us all a little bit through that, and you know what that day meant to go through that day with with the with the two of them. 
you know, it was a phenomenal experience. First of all, you know, shout out to Heems for putting it all together and for introducing me to Anthony Bourdain. And also Heems has always been somebody that has, you know, utilized his status in the culture to leverage a political agenda for the community, to, to advocate for the community. And we've collaborated in that way a few times. And with Bourdain, you know, we were able to, we kind of really shaped that episode in a big way, right? I mean, I came out there, That's that whole thing basically became a critique of Trump. Yeah. And I opened the door for it, and they loved, they want, they, and it was natural. Jeez. And we had filmed it just after Trump had won. Uh. And we went to this great restaurant, lots of fast food in Jackson Heights, which is an, an amazing Tibetan spot. There's this Tibetan community now, as we know, in Jackson Heights. Yeah. And... That restaurant literally makes no sense. It's a hole in the wall behind a jewelry store, behind a like, uh, like it doesn't make sense. I yeah, don't even, behind like a cell phone store. Yeah, behind, behind a cell phone store. store. You gotta kind of, it's like, it's almost like a speakeasy. Yeah. But it's not trying to be. Yeah. And, and that restaurant, by the way, has blown up now. And they've opened the second location because of the Bourdain effect in Elmhurst. And it's, it's had a dramatic effect on, yeah. on that, on that family that runs that restaurant. It's amazing. And, you know, we got to, you know, we got to tell a story about Queens and Queens really, because, like Trump had just won. Trump is a Queens guy, and we had a real debate about, you know, what is what are Queens values? Yeah. And Heems and I got to share our Queens values through the food. Yep. With Bourdain, and you know the food is great, and there was a great story behind it as well about community, about Jackson Heights, about about you know rejecting everything that Trump was running on, you know, and calling him out. Because, you know, he's from Queen. We have to call him out on that because it makes no sense. There's a lot of incredible energy and spirituality you could feel, uh, you know, palpating throughout the episode, even as a viewer at home. You know, he's is clearly a spiritual person, and, and, and you and I had a chance to hang out during Election Day, and you took me to that spot. And you wouldn't tell me why we're, you're taking me to that spot. You were scoping it out, and I was like, you know, this is, this is a wild, wild spot, dude. Right, and I forgot. I took you there. Me there. You're, ah. like, you're like, I can't tell you, but I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be doing some shit next week on this. And then we were so proud to watch you there, and you know, represent Queens, and and the culture. When you and you were the first South Asians in this space, where you know you're close friends with a lot of our current Black and Latin ally leaders. You've gone to law school with a bunch of them. You right. organized and you rallied with them for you know, civil rights causes. What is their understanding of South Asian culture and how do you hope to keep bringing more awareness to it? Look, I think the people that, first of all, if with respect to the delegation, I think that if they have a South Asian community in their district, I think they're going out of their way to, to make contact with them. I think the reason we're here, here at SOMOS too is to continue to build that relationship and be yeah, here. We're kind of representing our interests in our community here to be allies at SOMOS, yeah. which is, you know, run by the Latino caucus. And you know what? I think that we, ha we have a great relationship. And it's about, you know, advocacy is about relationships. You know, I mean, it's about getting results. I think we, we have a long way to go internally in our community in terms of, like, being effective organizers. Uh, we're getting definitely, we're definitely way better than we were 10 years ago yeah. or 15 years ago. And, you know, we're getting a lot of things passed. We got, you know, Eid of the public school holiday in New York City. Nice. Allow food in public schools. Mashallah. We have a, you know, significant um, hand in shaping specialized high school policy. Yeah. We have, um, 
you know, we are also now trying to shape the future of the taxi industry. Yeah. So, you know, we are out here and we're working with everybody. Yeah. Politics is about interests. Mm -hmm. And there are no permanent relationships. There are permanent interests. Mm. You know? You, you, and so you it's not really personal. You, know, you, you, you used to tell me that back in the day. And I, and I never realized how much it comes back. Like, you're like, hey, dude, it's it's all cool. It's not like like the relationships will, will, will kind of go up and down. And, right. And, 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 and it'll be fine at the end of the day because everyone has a job to do. Right. But it's really the interests and the values that really, you know, it's the, that's the long game. Right, and these relationships are dynamic. People have their own agendas. They run for different seats. They do different things. Yeah, they are they're they're managing you know different interest groups that are opposed to each other. So everybody's playing the game. But and I think that you know one thing that we have to do is we have to get somebody from our community elected mm -hmm. in New York City yeah. from New York City. Yeah. Um, shout out to Kevin Thomas who got elected uh, South Indian. A lawyer from Long Island who's now in the state senate. Shout he's out a, to Senator Thomas. He's the first South Asian. Malayali community? Yeah, yeah my yeah. look at. Yeah, yeah. And he, you know, but and we got to get something out of Queens, yep. definitely. Yep. And I think it's going to be soon. Yeah. I'm looking at candidates in 2021. Yeah. Uh, that are going to be running citywide. Citywide, statewide, some assembly you know, elections. I'm really, I got to be honest with you, I'm going to put it right now on the record that if we don't have a South Asian elected official in 2022, we are failing. Oh snap! It's a challenge. Dude. By the way, there's gonna be redistricting. We're gonna have. It's gonna be. We need somebody to really be in in city hall, in city council, and the assemblies that is representing our areas. You know something? It's weird. Like I'm, I'm in like our work as consultorial. I've been in this for 25 years. I've grown up here since 1987, and you know, going through the New York City experience. Going through, growing up in Elmhurst, growing up in South Ozone Park, that's a big reason why we have the Know to Grow podcast. So motherfuckers like me and you can share our own stories. We don't need to deal and, and depend on the media to share our stories. So when it comes to South Asian organizing, I think the unity is so critical for all of us to understand, you know, our values are permanent. And, and, and our relationships, we're going to be supporting each other, even if there's some conflict. But representation, you know, obviously really, really matters, especially being a dad and being in the education space. So I want to thank you for setting the way. I want to thank you for teaching, you know, just keeping me out of trouble, you know, out here. I like to get myself in a lot of trouble on Twitter and this and that. But, you know, you've, you've taught me a lot. I see some of our friends over there, previous podcast guests. So... I want to thank you again, Ali. Where can we find you? Give us all your handles and shout outs to all your organizations that you've been a founder of, that yeah. have been uh, spinoffs and, and sister organizations. So now is the platform. Let's give all the shout outs. Let's get the... Let's get definitely, the, you can definitely hit me on Twitter at Ali underscore hold on, hold on. We're gonna We're going to get, uh, we're gonna get this, uh, we're gonna get this queued up for the promos also. So where can we find you, Ali? You can find me on Twitter at Ali underscore Najmi. On Instagram, not guilty underscore NYC. Not guilty, yeah, yeah. com. <laughs> and I want shout out to all my organizations at MDCNY, Muslim Democratic Club of New York. Yep. And um, you know, we're doing we're trying to do our best. Ali, it's been a pleasure. Thank uh, you. I wish you a lot, a lot of uh, luck, du'as, prayers, everything, blessings on your on your fight for on behalf of taxi workers. Those are my uncles, those are, you know, my dad's best friends, those are my mom's cousins, and everything in between. Uh, so I really, really want to thank you for that. 
to all of our listeners. Check out Ali and all of his work. Until next time, always remember to pay it forward.